You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. If you want to take a minute to turn there in your Bible or find it on your phone, um, and then when you're ready, you can join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. Again, it's Daniel 6, 3 through 26. It says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction, that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king, concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. 
Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you, and make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, good evening. Good evening. Uh, my name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here at Salem, and uh, we're, we're glad you're all here. It's good to see you all. And uh, we are preaching through the Jesus Storybook Bible, which some of you may have. And if you don't have it, especially if you're uh, you know, younger, uh, one of you younger folks, I would encourage you to get this. But even if you're not young, um, it's a great introduction to the Christian faith. Some pastors, campus pastors I know have these, and they hand them out to students. So um, we've looked at the most of the Old Testament. Uh, we're coming to the end of the Old Testament, and then we're going to start the New Testament pretty soon. But um, tonight's story, of course, is uh, Daniel and the Scary Sleepover. And it's got really good uh, illustrations. Um, I, I love the text. I'm going to quote the text a little bit. That's Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. You probably can't see that, but um, there he is sleeping with the lions. It's a, it's a great story. Uh, this book does a great job of illustrating it and the main point of the book you see from the name uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible is that they say that every single story in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus it shows how every story including the story of Daniel is ultimately about uh, the Savior the Messiah uh, the King of the Jews uh, Jesus Christ and um, we have been talking about from the beginning that the, the whole Bible is one story and it starts in the Garden of Eden so if you don't know much about the Bible, uh, if you don't know much about Christianity, uh, we believe that God made human beings uh, in the image of God, uniquely among all creatures, and he put us on this beautiful planet, planet Earth, and he put the first two human beings uh, in a garden in the Middle East called Eden. 
and their names were Adam and Eve. And God gave them this charge that they, he wanted them to be fruitful and multiply, to have children, and to spread out across the entire earth, and to bring order and creativity in a place where there's really just nothing but chaos. There's just nature. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, comp- nature gone wild. And, and humans are supposed to go into nature and cultivate nature and bring forth things like this book or this microphone or an iPad or these uh, lamps. Or I went running around Salem Lake today. That trail was created by human beings. That We've taken what is beautiful in nature and we've made all these things out of it. And in the same way, God took chaos and nothingness and he made this beautiful creation out of it. And we're in his image, so we're supposed to reflect back to God himself, like a mirror reflecting the sun back. And so our job is to take uh, chaos and nothingness and to bring forth order and spread that around the whole world. It's called dominion. We were made to have dominion, which is a good thing. It's the opposite of what happened when we fell. So the second part of the Christian story is that human beings rebelled against God and we wanted to be the boss of things. We didn't want him to be the boss. We wanted to be the boss. We didn't want to be a creation. We wanted to be the creator. So we pretended to be creators with no boss. And if you look around the culture today, you see that a lot of people think that there is no one over them, that they are the measure of all things. Uh, So in that fallen state, we call that the fall, Human beings, instead of spreading dominion, we spread domination. And all the great empires of the earth, starting with Babel, the Tower of Babel, have spread domination rather than dominion. Dominion is reflecting God's beautiful rule and reign across the earth. Domination is using things. It's uh, exploiting things. It's saying my precious to things. It's mine. This is my thing. So in the Storybook Bible... It says that things were not looking good for God's people. Um, They had been captured and taken far from home, and now they were slaves to a king. They're in an empire. They're in the Persian Empire. It's a very famous empire. Historians write a lot about the Persians, the Medes and the Persians. And they are now slaves in the Persian Empire. They're in the exile. But God is still executing this secret rescue plan. So he has a rescue plan to save the earth from domination. And the rescue plan is he's going to create a family of people, the Jews, and they are going to be a people of dominion instead of domination. They're going to be a people who are on their knees, who are rescued by God, who are praising God, who give all the glory to God, unlike King Darius. King Darius is like the epitome of domination. We're going to see that in the story. The empire of domination, where you lift yourself up, you raise yourself up, And you try to get everybody to adore you and to praise you and to pray to you. And then you've got Daniel in exactly the opposite posture. He's on his knees. He is uh, bowing down on the floor. We should probably do that more as Christians. We should probably be on the ground with our face planted on the ground, our hands spread out. Just to show in a posture of um, supplication, of submission to God. Because you see Daniel is rescued out of a pit. He's lifted up out of a pit, which is the opposite of trying to raise yourself up like Darius. So um, those are the two points, the, the domination of Darius and then uh, Daniel and being rescued and giving God all the glory. Those, those two things. So first of all, the empire of domination. Uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones says the king liked how clever Daniel was. So Daniel's one of the Jews. He's one of the slaves in Persia. But the king loves Daniel because he's very wise. 
So the king liked how clever Daniel was and made Daniel the most important helper of all and put him in charge of all the other helpers. So they've made Daniel the vice president. Uh, Daniel is second in command in the empire. And you would think that because he's so wise, the Bible says he had an excellent spirit, which means he was incredibly gifted at administration. So you would think that when he got placed into vice presidency, that all the rest of the governors, all the rest of the mayors and the senators, you would think that they would applaud and say, isn't it great that we have the best person in the spot of vice president? In a perfect world, in the world God created of dominion, that's what they would have said. Persia is so blessed to have Daniel. But instead, it says in verse 4 that the satraps, the prefects, the counselors, just think of those as judges and senators and mayors and counselors. They all sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel because they hate Daniel. And they hate him because the logic of domination is very simple. I want to be in charge. And he took my place, and so he must go. So they're actually trying to dig up dirt on Daniel. You know, like people do in campaigns, on political campaigns, they're always trying to dig up dirt on their opponent so they can discredit their opponent. That's exactly what the satraps and the prefects and the counselors are doing. They're trying to get rid of Daniel. And in the empire of domination, that's the way we think. Uh, It's sometimes called a zero-sum game because there's a limited amount of the pie, and the more you get, the less I get. And vice versa. So the question is, do you ever live, and I know the answer is yes, but do you live and where do you live in this logic of domination where there's a zero-sum game and somebody else's success is a threat to you? Where the success of somebody else is a threat to you. So it could be a, um, a sibling. Sibling rivalry is a very, very powerful rivalry. It's, it's the kind of rivalry that sticks with you your whole life. Where when your sibling succeeds, you feel threatened. Um, It could be the child of a friend. Those of us who have children, especially the older they get, we kind of start living vicariously through our children. And so if our really close friend's child is more successful, better athlete, better student, making more money, whatever it is, you feel threatened. Sad truth. It could be um, your roommate's. Uh, academic excellence, or their popularity. That's a really big one. Your, pop, your roommate's popularity. That can be devastating when they're out partying or whatever, having all these invitations, and you're just sitting there reading. That happened to me a lot when I was awake. Um, it could be a, a cousin's book that is being turned into a movie. Uh, totally hypothetical example, but uh, it could be that you have a cousin who's, made, who's written a really good book, and it's being turned into a movie, and you just say to yourself, I just hope that thing doesn't get too popular. You know, that's, that's the way the logic of domination works. C.S. Lewis, my favorite writer, he said, as long as there's someone more powerful than me and cleverer than me and richer than me, then they are my rival and my enemy. That's the logic of domination. Uh, an American writer named Gore Vidal, who's not quite as popular as C.S. Lewis, but I love the way Gore Vidal put this. He says, it's not just that I must succeed Others must fail. So they want Daniel to fail. As much as they want to succeed, they want to fail. And Darius, the the king, is very much enmeshed in this logic. Uh, They they know they can trick Darius. They know how to push his buttons because they know that Darius longs for praise. He's like, bring it on. So verse 6 says they gather to praise him. And you wonder how often this happened that all these people gathered to praise Darius. He probably needed it regularly. And they say, oh, Darius, live forever. 
And I would love for that to happen every night to me, that someone comes in and says, oh, oh, Ben, live forever. Like this sign of adoration of your permanence. They want you to always be around. In the, in the story of the Bible, the way she puts this is they say, your most glittering highness, oh, magisterial brightness. They're so sure, the satraps, prefects, counselors, they're so sure that he needs constant praise that they get him to sign this absolutely crazy law. Imagine a president signing this law. Uh, whoever prays, this is verse 7, <clears throat> look at verse 7. Whoever prays to any god except you, Darius, shall be cast into the den of lions. I mean, talk about enforcing a policy. You throw anyone into the den of lions if they don't pray to you. It's hard for us to even imagine a world like that. But uh, guess what? It says in here, uh, it just simply says he liked the idea. He liked the idea of anyone being thrown to the lion's den who did not pray to him. He likes the idea so much that he completely forgets that actually it's going to kill Daniel, his most trusted servant, who he loves dearly. Darius is so blinded by his pride that he forgets that by signing that law, he's actually signing Daniel's death warrant. Because Daniel prays to Yahweh and only Yahweh. But I mean, if you think about it, um, would you not want, I mean, I might not sign that law, but would you not want people to adore you? Even if it was kind of mandatory, that there was uh, an encouragement for people to come around you. I mean, I don't know if I want people to pray to me, but I sure would enjoy people adoring me or worshiping me. One of my favorite songs is by a band called the Stone Roses, and it's simply called I Want to Be Adored. And uh, they say, I don't have to sell my soul. He's already in me. I want to be adored. In other words, just like Satan wants to be adored, they want to be adored. A very famous child celebrity star once said, I've been addicted to almost every substance known to man, and the most addicting of them by far is fame. The desire to have a lot of people know your name, and a lot of people go crazy when they hear your name, and scream, and shout, and adulation, how wonderful is so-and-so. Of course, it also kills people. It's not only uh, the most addictive drug, it's the most deadly drug, because it almost always kills anyone who's famous. With rare exceptions. So that's the culture of domination. And even after Darius repents of it, after Daniel is saved by his God, Darius can't quite get away from that logic. So now he makes another decree that everyone must tremble before Daniel's God, verse 26. So he's still living in that command and control culture of domination. Even after Daniel's been rescued, even after Darius has repented, he makes another law that everyone's got to do what he says. So he's still living in that logic. There's a book I'm reading called Us right now, and uh, it's very vexing. There's parts I love, there's parts I don't love, but I love this part of the book. It's by a, a, a counselor named Terrence Real, and um, he, uh, he, he is paid $800 an hour to come and save marriages that are on the brink of death. So that's what he does, and um, he wrote this book, talks about the importance of thinking in terms of relationship rather than individualism. He's very anti-individualistic. But I love this quote. Uh, Terence Real says, for half a century, psychology has labored to teach us how to raise ourselves up from the inferiority of shame. Have you not ever heard that? 
that what psychology is about, if you go to a counselor, they're trying to raise you up from the inferiority of shame. And that's a really good thing. That's a really good thing. But, he says, but we psychologists have done a terrible job of helping people come down from the superiority of grandiosity. Grandiose just means to be superior. And he says that all children are either falsely disempowered or falsely empowered. So not everybody is struggling with shame alone. It's often grandiosity. In fact, for me, I think it's more grandiosity than shame. But psychologists are finally realizing, I think, that there's as much danger in superiority as there is in inferiority. In fact, it flips a lot of times which one you feel. So that's the culture of domination, one. Number two is the rescued people of God. The secret rescue plan is a people of God who do not exalt themselves, but they exalt Yahweh. And they give glory to Yahweh. And so they spread dominion rather than domination. That's point two. Verse 11 says, these men, these envious, proud men of domination, they came and they found Daniel and he's on his knees. He's making petition and plea before God. Totally different posture. It says in verse 10, when Daniel knew the document was signed, somehow he heard about the document being signed. Um, I'm not sure how he did, but as soon as he heard it was signed, he did not go rushing off to Darius to demand his rights, which is probably what we would do. We would go running off to the government and demand our rights. He did not do that. He went home, he got on his knees, and he gave thanks. That was his posture when he found out his life was in danger. It was pretty much over, as far as you could tell. And notice the order of that. He first gave thanks in verse 10. And then he petitioned in verse 11. So he first says, Lord, I'm grateful to you no matter what happens. Even if those lions kill me, I give you thanks. You're good to me. You've never mistreated me. And then he says in verse 11, he makes petitions and pleas. So he's totally dependent on God. It's a great practice when you pray to give thanks first and then to make petition. That's the posture of dependency, the posture of dominion where God gets all the glory. Notice that Darius wanted to be prayed to. He wanted people to pray to him. He signed a law that you had to pray to him or else you'd die. Darius wanted to be prayed to. Daniel wants to pray to God. Again, a complete 180. I thought about a circus clown. You know those giant circus clowns that are like almost as high as those chandeliers right now? They get up on the stilts and they're kind of shaky. They have those huge legs and they're kind of wobbly. And uh, of course, they can't bend their knees. And I think of a circus clown on stilts as like, that's Darius. He's so high up. He's so unstable. He has so much to lose. Uh, He's so ready to fall. Whereas Daniel is the exact opposite of a circus clown. He's, he is planted on the ground. He's as close to the ground as you can get. And he's trusting God. You cannot fall when you're on the ground. You cannot fall down when you're laying flat on your face. You're very stable in that position. He's got nowhere to fall. Whereas when you lift yourself up above other people and you try to be big, try to get big, you are inherently becoming more and more unstable. Because you've got... A long way to go down. You have a lot to be threatened. So the question is, are you trying to get as tall as you can? And, you know, coming into, if you're you're coming into a a, a new semester in school, which is a lot of you starting a new semester in school, uh, your first instinct is try to get as big as you can. Like a puffer fish or a peacock that throws up its 
tail. You're trying to make a splash. But this text would urge you to get down near the earth and, and to get small and let God exalt you and pray for other people and serve other people. The word uh, humble comes from the word for earth in Latin. Humus, H-U-M-U-S, that means ground. Humility comes from that word for ground. Or another way you could ask it, are you looking for people to be grateful for you? To be so grateful for your greatness and your presence in their life? Do you want that or do you want to be filled with thanks like Daniel was? Filled with great gratitude and praise to God. It's really uh, ironic and almost funny. A lot of times the Hebrew Bible can be very funny. Um, that's one reason that Jewish people who come from that lineage are often very good comedians. Um, this is one of those little subtle, ironic places where there's humor. Uh, if you notice, uh, humility makes Daniel very strong, even though he's in the lion's den. So in verse 16, it says Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions, which I don't know what that den would have been like. Um, I imagine maybe like a room about this size and there's several lions in there and they just throw them down off the balcony and then there's like several very hungry lions. It's probably they had, there was probably human bones everywhere. Like they used that a lot to kill people. So Daniel's thrown, he's in the lion's den. He should be terrified. But in, Darius is on his palace bed, his feathered bed with goose down feathers and he is freaking out. While Daniel is calmly sitting in the lion's den. It says in verse 14, Darius was must, much distressed and sleep fled from him. He couldn't even sleep. He couldn't eat because he was so distressed on the palace king's bed. Meanwhile, Daniel's down there in the pit and it seems like he's praying for the king. It seems like he's actually asking for the king to get good sleep because when the morning comes and Darius comes running out, disheveled. Uh, he, he cries out in anguish, verse 20. Are you okay, Daniel? So he's really, really upset. And Daniel just says, O king, live forever, verse 21. You know, you look a little haggard, Darius. Are you, have you been okay tonight? Have you been doing okay? He's been down the lion's den, and he's fine. And Darius has been up on his feather bed, and he is freaking out. So the point is, there's incredible security in the arms of God. It says in verse 23, he had trusted in his God. And my favorite uh, picture uh, in this chapter is the picture of Darius, uh, of Daniel down in the den of the lions, which I cannot find because I lost my place. But it's this really cool picture of Daniel with his arm around the lion's head, just like patting the lion. Uh, it says, resting, on, resting his head on Daniel's lap was the biggest lion of them all, purring like a kitten. Daniel's fine. Uh, he is at rest. He is at peace because he knows he's rescued by God. He knows he's rescued by God. So how often, if you're a believer in God, how often do you think you're rescued? I, I love the, uh, the idea in verse 22 of God sending an angel and shutting the lion's mouth. When Darius asks Daniel, how did you do this? You know, did you fight off the lions? Are you like a black belt? Uh, and Darius, Daniel's like, no, uh, an angel came. And the lion was about to like put its jaws over me and this angel just kept the mouth of the lion open. I'd love to see it on video. Uh, might be something worth drawing if you're a kid right now and want to draw something cool. Um, a, a lion trying to close its mouth on someone's head and then an angel holding the lion's mouth open. 
That's, that's a vivid scene. But it might not be that dramatic. In fact, I'm sure it is not that dramatic. But in your life, God has saved you many, many times from things that might not be like this, but they're like other things. There are times that uh, you have been in serious danger, oftentimes relationally, uh, emotionally, and God has rescued you. He's protected you from danger. That's what it means to be rescued. A part of the people of God is means we're a people who are rescued. I often uh, like to say to parents that uh, we want our child to be saved, but we don't really want them to be saved from anything that bad. Like we don't actually want them rescued from something terrible. But if you're saved, you're saved from something really, really bad. We are people that are rescued all the time. You know, we're just walking down the street like clueless and there's like cars veering to the left and like potholes opening up on the right and we're just kind of walking along. Things are falling from the sky. And uh, one of the Psalms, Psalm 91 says, a thousand will fall at your right hand and 10,000 at your left, but it will not come near you. We're protected, we're rescued, we're saved. That's what dominion looks like. I was, uh, when I was a young Christian, I became a Christian in college when I was 21. And when I was a young Christian, I, um, I had these radical ideas about trusting God. Imagine that. I, um, I would often not set my alarm for some big, like an exam or something like that. And I would just say, Lord, wake me up in the morning when you wake me up. And he, al- he always did. It's amazing. And I would hitchhike. I was living in Scotland for a few months and I would just hitchhike. I would have to get to the train uh, in Glasgow, like maybe at 11 a.m. And so I needed the, the bus to come at like 8 a.m. I would just wake up whenever God woke me up. I'd walk down to where the bus was and I would just, it would pick me up. And I did not know the schedule. That's a true story. I also waited tables, which is itself an act of trust. But I, um, I, I would tell God, Lord, look out for the other Look out, look out for me, and I will look out for the other wait step. So if you take care of me, I'm going to look to take care of them first. So I would just go around, and I would like clean their tables, and all their customers, I would, I would fill their drinks up and bring them bread. It was an Italian place in Raleigh and Cameron Village, and I would, um, I would always try to take care of them, and, and God always took care of me because I know I'm a person who is rescued, rescued by God, secure, trusting in God, and of course, I stopped doing that, but I don't really know why I stopped doing that, because God rescued me so many times. I, I don't know why we stopped doing these things, or we stopped trusting God to rescue us, but I, I do know this, that at the end of the day, there's really only one rescue that matters. That all these other little rescues from the, the mouth of the lion, from losing a tip, or having a customer get mad at you, that's nothing. There, there is the one great rescue. And this is what the story of the Bible says. It says God would keep rescuing his people. And one day he would send another brave hero like Daniel. Who would love God. And who did what he said no matter what it cost him. The ultimate rescue came from another man who was blameless. In verse 4 it says they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. Even though he got the death penalty. That's exactly what it said about Jesus. They tried to get all this dirt on him. They could never find anything. He was blameless. So Daniel got the death penalty, but he didn't die. Whereas Jesus got the death penalty and he did die. That's how he's different from Daniel. He actually did die, even though he was blameless. And Daniel was lifted up out of potential death. He was lifted up from the lion's den. Verse 23, the king commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. 
So he didn't die, but Jesus did die. Jesus was like in the lion pit, dead for three days. And it says that God lifted him up out of death. So whereas Daniel never actually died and was never rescued from dying, Jesus actually did die. And he was lifted up out of death and he broke death. He broke the curse on death. Daniel established temporary peace for God's people. And in 25, it says, Darius wrote to all the people, na- nations, and languages, peace be multiplied to you. Daniel established temporary peace. Jesus establishes everlasting peace for the whole world. Verse 26, his kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall never end. Love these rascals.